Who wants to be an entrepreneur? This isn't a quiz show. This is reality. A real-life discovery of what it really takes to be an entrepreneur. Welcome to a new season of podcast episodes of personal and business coaching topics and techniques around the three pillars of HEW, health, excellence, and wealth. HEW is introducing guests to the Who Wants to Be an Entrepreneur show based on their own personal experiences. A full real-life account of trials and tribulations of what it takes. Hello and welcome to the HEW podcast of Who Wants to Be an Entrepreneur with myself, Helen Williams, where I'm excited to actually introduce one of our guests this morning with What It Takes with Steve Manley. The purpose of this in terms of why I'm bringing guests into the fold for this new season of the HEW podcast is to share, to educate, to inspire and encourage. You've had a full season now of coaching techniques and coaching strategy. This is now getting down to the nitty gritty, meeting real life entrepreneurs out there who can help achieve all of the objectives by giving their spin on things and their reality behind what we interpret as business, successful business and entrepreneurship. I want to introduce you to Steve Manley then, who Steve is born and bred in Sheffield, a true fan of everything Yorkshire and a huge advocate for business, enterprise and entrepreneurship. Having discovered his business, Universal, what is now the UK's fastest growing and leading office supplies brand, which actually all began some 16 years ago from a back bedroom in a local Sheffield suburb to now simultaneously being at the helm of the Sheffield Chamber of Commerce as president, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you what it takes with Steve Manley. So welcome, Steve. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show today. Morning, Helen, and uh, thank you for the uh, very kind introduction. And uh, yes, looking forward to, uh, to talking to you today. Let's get this kicked off then. We'll just get straight into it so the listeners can immediately start to learn from you and hear all about your business experiences and learn exactly what it's taken from you to get you to where you are today. So first things first, let's go back in time a little bit and talk about kind of what your main drivers were and your motivating factors were behind growing your business. Okay, well, I think it really started when I was actually at college when I took part in, I was doing a business and finance course and we started up our, part of the course was called Young Enterprise and we had started up our own business and we actually started up a stationery shop and I think at that time I was early 17 years old and I got three jobs as a pot washer, washing cars, delivering newspapers. And we started this business in college. And I think the eureka moment for me was we bought, I think it was a box of lever arch files. We bought them for £10 and we sold them for £15. And I remember at that one moment when I took the £15 off this person thinking, wow, we, we've just made £5 profit. And for me to have earned that washing pots in the local hotel where I worked, I would have had to work two hours because I was on £2.50 an hour. And, and I think it was that one moment that made me realise if I want to be successful and I want to earn money and I want to do well in my life, there is another way how to make money rather than just doing something, e.g. having the ability to not just sell your time but to be able to sell a product. Uh, and I think that was my first one of many, but my first eureka moment where I decided, right, this, this, is the, this is the path that I want to go down and ultimately that is the path that I did go down. So I'm intrigued by that then. How many lever arch files <laughs> did you sell and how much profit did you make? Well, 
at the time, from memory, it's a long time ago now, but I think we we basically started selling to students. Yeah. So we we had a in the in the reception of the college we had a like a pop up shop where we sold to passing students. And out of twenty of us in our form or group, you got elected into different positions, and you were elected by your peers. and And I got elected as managing director. And I remember sitting it as a board meeting, which sounds really really strange now when I look at what encompassed a board meeting back then. And I remember talking to the sales director, who was again was 17. And I remember saying, why are we not talking to the local businesses? I said, we've got those three businesses. You've got a plumber's merchants, you've got building supplies, you've got a small accountancy business. Have we actually gone to speak to them? To which the answer was no. And I said, well, let's go and knock on their door. To which a few of the people, and we actually had an advisor who was from, H- uh, from one of the main banks. And he said, well, I'm not really sure you should do that. To which I said, well, why? Are we not allowed to do that? So they checked with the college and the, the, they said, no, absolutely. You know, if you want to go and do that, you're insured. There's not, there's not an issue. So we went, myself and the sales director, and we just knocked on the door. And we were very open and honest what we were doing. And we'd just like to quote and we'd like to sell them some stationery. And surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, I guess, two out of the 10 doors were knocked on actually ordered some, some stationary offers. So I think in the, in the total term, it ran for five months. And I think our total sales were, they were just under £4,000. And the gross profit on that was about £1,000. And then the net profit, because our costs were really low, the net profit was about £750, which was then divided by the 20 people. So in terms of did we make money? Yes, we did. But for me, it wasn't really about making the money. It was about the life lessons that you learned. I think it was two things that really settled in my brain. It was one, if you want to make money, it's simply a very simple game of buying it, selling it, making a profit, working out your cost, and fundamentally making sure that they paid you, which mm-hmm. is key. But I think the other trigger was that if we'd actually have just sat in the college reception, our actual sales, the college reception sales equated to 50% of our turnover. The other 50% equated to us then continually going out and knocking on more doors. So we doubled our turnover and doubled our profit by actually thinking a little bit outside the box as it was back then when we were 17 year olds and actually going and deciding, right, well, the business isn't going to come to us. We, we, if we just sat there on the reception desk, we literally had to wait for people to walk past and buy off us. Whereas I wanted to say, well, I don't want to wait for someone to come to me. I want to go to them and try to sell to them. So I think those are the two fundamental areas that Young Enterprise taught me, which obviously a long time ago now, but that sort of set me in good stead for, for what I end up doing future in my life. You was always motivated to go out and obviously drive business and create business, or was that kind of moment in college and your sort of eureka moment that you speak about, is that more of a fact of you accidentally fell into it and identified that, hang on a minute... There's, there's a lot more to this and put together, obviously, with your natural acumen that you seem to have, even at 17, of, you know, go out there and canvas and, you know, bring the business to you. I think naturally I was, I was the type of person that would have gone out there because at that same time, I'd already got three jobs. I'd gone to the local hotel and asked them if they'd got any jobs. I'd knocked on the local news agents and I got my name down to be a paper boy. I was asking my dad's and mum's friends and family if I could go and wash their car. So I think I'd, I'd naturally got that. But what I'd not got that the, the college told me was the fact that you can earn money by not just selling your time. Because if you just sell your time doing anything, you, you, you do have a limit on, on how much you can earn. Whereas with selling a product, 
for me, the Eureka moment was, crikey, I've just made two hours worth of salary just by, just by selling that. So it, it, I think I was naturally the type of person that would have gone out there, but I'd, I'd not got that trigger and the understanding of how to actually then go out and, and try and make money. But at the same time, we saved the, the customers, said, wow, this is great, you're delivering it for me. And it's actually cheaper than me going down to uh, Office World, as it was back then, that the men became staples. It's actually cheaper for me to buy it from you. So you, you got a, I got a good feeling that we were making money, but I was actually at the same time saving the customer money and we were delivering it, so we were giving him a better service as well. So that was really the, the bit that I think I'd already got and the bit that I learned at the same time. Okay, fabulous. So for you then to be, um, as, I, as I said at the beginning and introduce you as um, the joint MD yes, of Universal as the UK's leading and fastest growing office supplies brand. How do you go from being at college and being in the position that you've just been saying to being there? Well, I've got so much to thank for the college really because another part of the college course was you had to apply for a job. So one night, my mum brought the Sheffield Star home and I thought, right, I need to do my homework. So I went to the job section on a Thursday, as it was, and there was an advert for a company who said, office supplies, sales manager required. And I thought, well, that actually links into what we're doing. So I sent a letter saying, I'm vastly experienced in stationery. I'm managing director of an office supplies company with 20 members within our team. I'd love the opportunity to be be, be interviewed for this position. Can you please send me a job description and job specification, which was all we really needed. And we had to write the letter, which we got marked on. So that was part of the course. To my shock, I got a letter back saying, thank you, here's the information you require. We'd like you to come to an interview a week on Tuesday at whatever time. I can't remember the exact date and time. And I remember saying to my dad, oh, I can't believe I've had this. I've had this, what, what should I do? And my dad said, you go. And I said, really? And he said, no, you go for the experience. So I turned up for the, the interview in a borrowed suit that was probably three times too big. And, and when I was 17, I probably looked about 12. And, and I remember the, the branch managers who was running the branch, uh, it was a large corporate, he opened the door and looked at me. And he, I won't say exactly what he said, but he basically said, flipping egg, that explains something. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, you said you were vastly experienced in stationery. You've even spelt stationery wrong. So, oh, wow. so, so I think for me that the first part was, it was such a learning curve that A, I didn't lie, but I exaggerated the truth. I suppose I did lie because I wasn't vastly experienced in stationery. Um, but I didn't lie in terms of my age. I, I was managing director. And to cut a long story short, he interviewed me for a 45-minute slot lasted an hour and a half mm-hmm. with him and the, his deputy. And at the end, they said, look, you're clearly not right, but we will keep you on file. To which I thought, well, that's typical what people say. But I didn't really know at the time. Three months later, I was, I was about to go to university to do a business studies degree. They contacted me and said, we'd like you to come in to talk to us. So I went in and they said, right, we've got a position of trainee telesales. You're basically responsible for doing the photocopying, the admin, taking, making some calls, canvassing calls. Um, do you want the job? The salary was really low. And I thought, well, I'll do that for three months and then I'll go to university. So I'll get three months, bit of experience, bit of cash before I go to university. So I did. After three months, I absolutely loved it. And I decided to defer my entry to university, which I did. And, and I stayed there. And then after about four or five months, we had a bit of a campaign trying to generate business. So, so we had a telesales competition and I wasn't telesales then. Uh, I was do, like junior, junior to all the telesales. And it was basically like making outbound calls to basically try and canvas and, and get, get new customers. 
and none of them wanted to do it. And we had this meeting and I said, well, can I, can I have the yellow pages and can I, start, can I start ringing customers and asking them? To which the branch managers said, well, yeah, if, if, if you want to, quite surprised. But I can remember sat at my desk with a telephone and the yellow pages and I felt really proud that I'd got these yellow pages and I, I started ringing solicitors because I thought, well, they must use a lot of stationery, pens, pencils and folders. And, and it was a competition and, and I ended up winning the competition. We did it for two hours a day. The team dreaded those two hours. I, I couldn't wait to get to those two hours. And I ended up going to the, the branch manager saying, look, can I do this full time? I said, I, I prefer doing this. And I know none of the other team want to do it. And they're talking that they don't like it. So I ended up doing that full time for about six months. Absolutely loved it. And the, they then became a vacancy. But we, at that time, we had external account managers. So people that go out and see people with, they had really flash cars. They had Rover 200s and a, a mobile <laughs> phone the size of a breeze block. But I was almost in awe of them. And, and I had a dream that I wanted to be an, an account manager. It was my short-term dream. And a vacancy came up and I applied for it. And they said, no, you've only just learned to drive. You can't do it. You're, not, you're too young. You can't go into reception. You're too young. So I didn't get the job. They gave it somebody else who'd run a, a long, I think it was on a three-month notice period from memory. He ended up not joining. It was coming up to January. So I said, look, can I cover the role? Drop the catalogs off and just say hello and see the customers. And again, I really enjoyed that. And while I was out there, I was, from what I'd learned at Young Enterprise, because we we're on a, a sales push again, I went and knocked on some doors. So if I was seeing a customer, I'd go in to drop a catalog off. I'd knock on the customer next door with a catalog and say, can we quote you on your office supplies? And, and I think the branch manager was gobsmacked that I wasn't targeted or doing new business. The others were, but I'd actually done more new business than the other people. Mm. So I think it was that at the outset of my career that helped me because I was, I was determined and we had a sales league on the board, a big whiteboard. And every morning it used to be my job to put who was the, the highest sales performer on there out of the 10 people. And instantly, as soon as I started doing telesales and then account management, every morning I was determined to be the number one and if I wasn't number one I used to get I used to get probably I used to get upset and not upset so I was depressed but upset to the point where it motivated me to think right I need to do an extra 10 calls today I'm only going to have 10 minutes for my lunch because I'm not happy that I'm second I want to be number one and my manager she was brilliant at the time I had a really good manager and her director she was really good and I think because I was helping them they took me under their wing. So it wasn't just me doing it. They, I had some fantastic mentors, Helen and Denise, they were called. So I was lucky that in my early career, I had two fantastic mentors that helped, support, guided, and they could see my desire and my hunger. So they sent me on training courses. They aligned me with more experienced account managers in different branches as well as our branch in Sheffield to really try and help and guide me. So I have so much to thank other people for giving me the opportunity and, and really helping guide a mentor. And I think if it wasn't for the college helping me, if it wasn't for the people in the business helping me, I would not have been able to develop what I achieved. And I probably did appreciate it at the time, but I think it's only in retrospect when you look back, and I still speak to Denise and Helen now, where I really appreciate what they did for me. And it, it, I suppose what I'm doing now, it, giving, trying to give something back to the potential young entrepreneurs I think it's because of how people helped and mentored me and it guided me in my career. And I think it certainly 
helped me wanting to help young people today. Yeah, there's such a lot there that you've just covered in terms of obviously your proactive nature, you know, your initiative that you used when you're going out onto onto sites and you're seeing about new business, knocking on the doors next door and things like that. You know, not everybody thinks like that. So there's a lot to be said for that in the first place. You may think in terms of, well, that's just common sense but not everybody uses that and applies it. So that's one area of your kind of proactive nature and using your initiative. You've said about the motivating factors of being number one and obviously being on that league board. Well, not just being on that league board, but being at number one. And then obviously the assistance then through your your mentors and the help and the guidance and the support that they gave you. Out of those three areas, what would you say is the main component behind your own growth and your own journey? Um, it's a difficult one to specifically pick one. Um, I think if I'd not have had the guidance to start with and the mentoring, particularly with going back to college, I would have probably, I don't know if I would have ever had that eureka moment as I keep referring to where I would decide, right, wow, that's what I want to do. So, and I, and I believe this now, people may have the ability, they may have that desire, but they might not know about their ability and they might not know about their desire. And I think that, I do think you're born with a bit of de- with desire and hunger, but it can also be trained and it can be instilled. What I think people aren't necessarily born with is the fact that they know they've got that. So I do think I'm naturally an entrepreneur in terms of I'm always looking for opportunities. In our business now, we diversify and I'm constantly thinking, and as a business, how we can motivate the team, how we can manage the team, how we can align with other partners to grow the business and, 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 and offer more value to our customers. But I think... Inside a lot of people, they do have the ability and the desire, they just don't know it. And that's why with the Chamber Academy that we'll be introducing in September, I'm passionate and determined that there's a lot of young people out there that have got that ability, but they don't know they've got the ability. And they've got that hunger and that desire, but there's been no spark, there's been no magic light that's switched on to make them realise, do you know what, I can do this. Because so many people are on social media, read negatives in the press, read negatives on social media, may not have the right family or friends environment who are negative and and their self-confidence is knocked and they then don't have that desire and that belief that they can be successful in life. And, you know, I'm a great believer in in self-help in terms of reading books and I love reading biographies and you read some of the biographies of Let's take Richard Branson. He's He's gone bust three or four times. There's, there's other entrepreneur books that have had negatives in their life that they've had parents who don't support them, but they've risen through that because ultimately at some point there has generally always been one person that's given them a trigger and a mentor. And whether that's a teacher, an employer, a friend, some sort of advisor, or even reading a book themselves, there is generally, in my opinion, a trigger that helps somebody become and get into business in, in later life. And that's exactly, obviously, why I wanted to speak with yourself and get you on the show, because of that alignment. I came out of employment personally, and obviously I don't want to delve too much about my story, but it's just very fitting at this time, and realised that it's a case of, I knew what I wanted to do, but then it's a case of how do you do it and who's going to help you do it. And this story comes over and over again where I was looking after a sales team and you've got the sales team and the budget and you're busy and every single day I walked away from that and I was sat around my kitchen table and then thought, what do I do now? Mm. And it was me, like, was treading water for a while and that's where I'm now today after then looking for my own help and, and getting my own mentors and coaches on board to get me to where I was to then say, hang on a minute, again, there, there's other people like me in this scenario that wants to do it 
and knows what they're capable of doing it but you just sometimes need that kick that nudge that kind of pat on the back that bit of guidance and support to get you through so I'm a huge huge fan and supporter of what you're doing here at the chamber and everything that you do yourself to give back in the t- in the same way that then you've had with your mentors and that's you know got you to where you are today with that obviously you got a business partner mm-hmm. I don't know how that came about, but there's two of you driving your business. And obviously within anything where you're a new business startup or an entrepreneur looking at new ideas and things, how important is it to get somebody else on board with you? Because when you first start out, it's you doing everything. You know, you've got to be the one that's looking at your sales and your marketing, your accounts and any of your social media and the technical stuff that we've had a little uh, laugh and joke about for this podcast. You know, you're the one that's doing absolutely everything. So at what point did you know that you needed to be on board with somebody else? What happened at the company I worked for, I was there eight years and and I ended up working from telesales to account manager to branch manager to regional director and running, running a large team. So I was a director, but it was a... It was a £250 million business, or globally it was a billion pound business. And basically they got bought out by an American firm. The the board who, although we were directors only in title, the board that we reported to basically got replaced by the Americans. So the American board came in, and with all due respect, they didn't understand the UK marketplace. I won't go into that story too much, but basically at that point I decided I wasn't enjoying my job anymore and I needed to do something different. And I remember at the time when I did resign, I was 24 at the time, 23, and my friends thought I was mad because I'd got a really good job. I was responsible for 70-odd people. I got a 40-odd million P&L responsibility. I got my own PA. I'd got a really, really good job, a well-paid job, and I basically wanted to pack that in and start up on my own. And I think a lot of that was because I wasn't happy, and I also, I link back to the Young Enterprise event where I made the money, and I thought, well, I am making money now, but I want to be in control of my own destiny. I don't like the way that the business has changed. All the people who I got loyalty to have all gone. Now's the right time because the market was in a bit of flux situation because of mergers and acquisitions in, in the office supplies market. And it was really at that point that I decided I wanted to leave and I wasn't happy. So I'd made that decision quite early on and it probably took about six to nine months before I actually did hand my notice in because I had to get a plan. I, I wasn't as cavalier to have this thought in the middle of the night and then the following morning go and resign. I decided to have a clear plan and a vision and, and spoke to various different people to understand the market in terms of if I was to set up on my own, what did the market look like? What cash did I need? Which suppliers would support me? So I did do my market research. And again, I think for any entrepreneur, you do need to do your market research. You do need to do a business plan. You do need to speak to people and it needs to be carefully planned. So that was my plan. And, and I started talking to Mark Broadbent, who's my co-director now. He was a friend at the time at the company I was with. We were close friends, but he, he was also a director, but he managed a different element of the business. And we were both at the time quite young and we were seen as like the leading young directors. But A, I got on really well with Mark from a social point of view and a friendship point of view. But B, Mark's skill set was very different to mine. And although we were at the same level in terms of regional directors, Mark managed a different element of the business compared to me and my other two colleagues. So I naturally thought Mark would be a great fit. And I know Mark was having the same thoughts because we talked about it. And, and I presume Mark also thought, Steve would be a great fit. So we decided to go into partnership. And I remember talking to people who gave me advice. And I'll never forget one phrase who said, a partnership is the worst ship that ever set sail because it'll go horribly wrong. And, and actually, if you look at the stats, 
often partnerships, he was right, a lot of partnerships don't work. And I think the relationship between Mark and myself is quite unique in the, in the respect that we bring different skill sets to the table. There's 100% element of trust. We've both got the same work ethic. And I think we're, whilst we're different personalities, I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of we're both hungry, we're both ambitious, we're both determined. We were very determined straight away to be the best office supplies company. So when we set up, we brought a member within to the team. We gave her, I can remember poor Amanda came in. She was our first ever member of the team and she had, a, she had an induction program. We managed the business right from the outset as if we were a larger corporate business. So we had board meetings we wanted proper marketing a website so straight away we didn't want to run the business as a small back bedroom business even though we were and we had to be but we wanted to be perceived as a professional business that was going places that they people want to deal with us because we were professional and the most important thing was not just the people within our team but exceeding the customer's expectations compared to the service they were getting from their current providers be that both price and service so that was how it started and and I can honestly say, and again, this is probably quite rare that 16, 17 years on, Mark and myself still have exactly that same relationship. And I think the fact that right at the outset, we said every month we're going to have a board meeting and every month we're going to test and challenge each other. So if there's an element of the marketing side or the finance side that, that you're running and I don't understand, I will ask you that question and vice versa, you will ask me that question. Is there anything you don't understand that you, or even you're not happy about? We will always ask that question at a board meeting so that it never festers, it never continues. And because we set that at the outset, there's never been confrontation. There's been challenges where we'll ask each other direct questions, but because that was our nature, our old company, to be challenged and questioned, it became second nature when we started up on our own. And when Mark asked me a direct question, or I'll ask, I'll ask him one, it never feels why you're challenging me because we've done that from day one. I think having an open, honest relationship, I know that, and I know it's reciprocal, I trust Mark 100%. I know he brings 50% to the table. So I never really think from a partnership point of view, which a lot do, well, I'm working more hours than him. I'm bringing more profit in. I'm bringing more sales in. And I think we've been very fortunate that that partnership has worked, but you work at it. It's like any long-term relationship. You need to be flexible and you need to work at the relationship. If I could turn back the clock and say, would I set up on my own and do it myself, even with the knowledge I've got now? No, I wouldn't. If I was to start up on my own again, would I do it on my own or would I get a business partner? I would probably do it on my own because I think to find another business partner like Mark, I, th- I think it'd be almost impossible. And mm-hmm. I think I'm probably very lucky in that situation. And well, I hope Mark would say the same. I'm sure he will. I mean, that's fascinating because obviously as entrepreneurs and businesses, we kind of know the elements that we need to box off and and, Mm. and be pretty good at. And if we don't know how to do something, we know what we need to go and find out and do. So if you two share kind of the opposites of the spectrum Mm. in terms of what is required from a skill set point of view, but then fundamentally align your values personally and in business you're onto a winner aren't you and that that is as you say a unique relationship and at the same time is something that you still have to work at because you can't ever rest on your laurels fascinating to hear that because you hear all hosts of horror stories as you say Mm. about partnerships and getting other people involved and it's sometimes a case of you either go and throw everything at it and back yourself to make it happen or you stay on your own and tread water a little bit and restrict yourself somewhat mm. for growing because nobody can have all the areas of the skill set together no and i guess with you two you bounce ideas off one another the whole time and that's how then i guess is instrumental to your growth 
Yeah, it, it is. And and, and you're, you're also right about getting other skill sets in. So, you know, we, we weren't experts in at that time in the website. And, and it's strange little things when you start your own business up, like you need a shareholders agreement. And we were probably two, two years in to running the business when I was a, a network event and there was a solicitor talking about limited businesses and shareholders agreement and shareholders protection and, and all the other elements. And I remember thinking, well, we've not got any of that. So you do learn as you go along. And, and at that point, that's when you need to go out and get expertise and never, never be afraid to get expert help and never think you're too good to have a good accountant. And I remember the gentleman in question who, who became a bit of a mentor in the end, he said that, that the worst thing you can do is not spend money with a solicitor. And I know solicitors sometimes get bad press for being expensive, but solicitors for us as a business have been great in terms of they've helped us out, they've helped us guide us certainly in the early days. And if we'd not, we've actually never needed to use a shareholders agreement or any of them, thankfully. But it's, it's good business practice. Every business should adhere to good business practice. But as a young entrepreneur and a young business startup, even though we'd been in a big corporate business, there's so many things that starting your own business up you don't know like solicitors, like, I mean, our accountant, we'd been with an accountant for two years, you know, probably longer, four or five years, and as we were starting to make profit, we were still paying ourselves as a salary. And then it was only another accountant said, what's your dividend? Do you draw a dividend? And, and I said, what, what's a dividend? And I had no idea. And I'd been running my own business for four years, and I had no idea what a dividend was, which I look back and we actually moved accountants and I, and I blame our accountant because he's the expert. He should have advised us. It's such a basic thing when I look back now. But there's, you, you take for granted that people in life know things. And, and, and I think as you said on the podcast you did the other day, that was, which was really interesting, don't be afraid. If you don't know anything, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask the question. And I, I'm still a big advocate, even today. Don't care who you are. You don't know everything. And if you don't know something... Go and ask the question, go and find help, go and find an expert because you'd be amazed at, if you go and ask somebody for help, people like to be asked for help. It doesn't, doesn't matter who you are. I, in various different roles now that I've got, I will go and ask people for help. It doesn't matter what position they are. If, they're, if they know more than me, never be afraid to ask for help. And I think as a younger business person starting up, you need guidance and you need mentors. Even as a business startup, it, it can be lonely at times. And I think I was quite fortunate I got Mark, but quite quickly we got a group of people around us, like a solicitor, like the accountant, like the bank. The bank was really good with us as well. And we got we thought we got a really good team. But again, the only weak link at the time was the accountant, which we didn't know until from a networking point of view, I was speaking to more accountants and solicitors and various other people to, to try and sell, I guess. And the accountant who gave me the advice and the solicitor, they both now become A, our solicitor and accountant, and B, they use us for their office supplies as well. Win-win. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. You mentioned there about um, it can be quite lonely. Mm. So obviously I've gone through my startup. Now I'm helping other people with their startup scenarios as well. And loneliness comes into it a lot Mm. in terms of how then it affects the individual. From a mindset point of view, from a self-doubt point of view. So we've just touched upon there about the skills that are needed within business growth and implementing your different skills or, or outsourcing and asking for help. What would you say around mindset in terms of how important that is from an individual perspective? I, I think mindset is critical. I, I really do. You, you know, not wanting to diversify too much, but I once lived next door to um, this gentleman who was a young, young professional footballer. And 
he was his talent was amazing. I won't name him, but his talent was amazing. Uh, and he was at Sheffield Wednesday, and there was another one of the neighbours who was also a, a reserve at Sheffield Wednesday. Didn't have the same amount of talent or ability, but his determination level and his mindset and his attitude was a million times better than than the other player. And now they've ended their careers, and the person with the better mindset and the better desire and drive had a far better career than the person with the better talent. So having talent is one thing, but having the desire, the mindset, the attitude, which I think part of it is instilled and I think part of it is taught. So I think mindset is not just in business. I think it's everything in life. It doesn't matter what career you are, whether that's friendships, relationships. I think, I think a mindset is so critical in, in every aspect of your life. Would you say then that you would need to align your skill set and your mindset? Well, yes. If you've got a good skill set, whether that is a footballer or whether you're a naturally good artist or whatever whatever your skill set may be, and, and, and people are given skills in life, whether that is, as I say, a footballer or an entrepreneur or a specific talent, you need the skill set, but you'll never deliver the skill set if you've not got the right mindset. And mm-hmm. I see people in who I've employed, who I've interviewed, and I've given them the job, and I think they could be brilliant, but they just they just don't want to work. They don't. They're lazy. They've not got the right attitude. They've, when when they pushed over, they're with me, or I've seen them. They've got the ability to deliver, but they've just not got the desire, the hunger, and the right mindset. So absolutely, you need both. I mean, I work with entrepreneurs, and in our coaching sessions, it is about building their mindset Mm. and building their discipline to be working on their mindset every day because the skill set comes in and you know as we've said you can pull that in from different resources for me it's absolutely key that through the mindset you've got the belief you've got the confidence you've got the the desire and the drive to actually get up every single day and apply yourself regardless of the results to keep that momentum up because it's only through that that you're ever going to get anywhere Whereas right at the beginning of this uh, interview, Steve, you mentioned about people being expectant that business were going to come to them. And if you've not got that mindset to be the driver and to be the one to actually go out and get it and get what's yours out there, you're never, ever going to see that success that so many people want, but they don't want it enough. No, absolutely. And, and I don't think, for me personally, not, it's not something that comes in waves. Or it's certainly, it's not something where I've got to a point where I think, well, I've done okay. I don't need to work as hard anymore or I'm not as hungry anymore. And and I think a great advocate of that is you look at, let's say, Richard Branson. In terms of diversifying his brand and getting involved in different businesses and different business sectors, bizarre sectors if you look at what he was in before. You know, we've diversified as a business, but you look at someone who, like Richard Branson who was on a totally different level, obviously. And you look at how he's diversified his business. He could have retired at 35 mm. and sat on Necker on his island and just never worked again. Would that fulfill his objective in life? Or does he still want to be hungry and ambitious? And is, it, is his objective money? No, I, I, categorically not. And I think if you're, yeah, money is nice to have and it's important. But if you have money as your main sole aim and objective, and that's your pure focus, then you won't achieve that. And that shouldn't be your focus. It should be about enjoy and have a determination to be successful and you you can measure success in a lot of different ways and people measure success in different ways and for me I look at the business that we've got now as universal office products and the success for me is the business that we've built the team that we've got the, the longevity of the team that we've got the customer base that we've got the relationships we've got with the customers and, and again the longevity of the customer so I I look at the success as universal as that 
in terms of the chamber, I look at the success of, of my year of presidency as probably the academy that is ultimately what we've ended up delivering and achieving, which was my dream and vision going back 12 months ago. But not just that, it's the, the team. There's a great team at the Chamber, and I've really enjoyed working with the team, helping them with bringing new members on board, which is predominantly the, the, it's themselves that have delivered on that. But we, again, I don't get a sense of achievement from the Chamber of, of, of earning money because I, I don't earn any money from it. But I get a real sense of achievement from looking at what we've delivered with the Academy, looking at the, the membership in terms of the income growth and the value of the members and the quality of the members that we've got and, and how the members feed into the chamber and, and the feedback we get from members. That's how that's how I measure success in terms of my year as presidency. So you can measure success in different ways, but I would always advise young entrepreneurs have money as, a, as an objective and as a desire, but it shouldn't be number one, certainly shouldn't be number one. I do think that the uh, the finance element of it and the uh, the money is a little bit misconstrued when people are looking at business startups and and you know being at the helm of your own destiny because mm. people just think that you're just making it overnight yeah and you and I both know that that just doesn't happen that is a pipeline and that is where your social medias of the world and what have you do sort of misconstrue that message because you could go for two three five years without even making any money or mm, anything absolutely. that's anything that's a profit mm. margin anyway for you to obviously enjoy and celebrate and that's just the nature of the beast but again that comes down to are you willing and are you hungry enough to keep going and keep going and keep going and achieve what it is that you want to achieve yeah absolutely so onto that then because we did allude to it earlier and this is a this is a key question for for entrepreneurial specific entity do you think that entrepreneurs are naturally born or can they be created? I think you're naturally born as with a skill set, but I think a lot of people don't realise they have that skill set because they've not got the right mindset or there's not been that one trigger. When I was younger, I wanted to join the police when I was younger. I couldn't because I'm colour blind. And I then thought, I want a job in business, I want to I want to work in a bank. And that's why I did a business and finance course. And it was only really through through my college experiences and, and what taught me, it was then when I realised I don't want to work in a bank. It was that moment that made me realise I wanted to do something and I suppose that was the moment where I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But if I'd never had that, I don't know where I'd be today. I might be working in a bank now. So I think people are born entrepreneurs because a lot of people I know that they could never, with all due respect, they wouldn't want to be and that's fine. Not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. I think a lot more people are born with entrepreneurial flair I just think that they don't realise they've got it and there's not been that one trigger or spark where they've realised, hang on a minute, I can do this, I want to do that. So yeah, I think you are born that way, but I think a lot of people don't know they've got it within themselves to actually go out there and start their own business or, or create money for themselves and wealth and satisfaction for themselves. Okay, that's interesting you say that and obviously totally take on board everything that you're saying and it figures when you're looking at, um, you know, spearhead such as Richard Branson or whatever because he is one of a kind isn't he yeah you know those kind of individuals aren't born every single day so it's interesting you say that however I, I always have to look at it in terms of how come entrepreneurship now is really quite a sexy kind of thing to be getting into more and more people are wanting to be in control and have their own businesses why do you think that is and then what do you think the number one thing is that new startups then struggle with? Well, I think, just to go back, in terms of being an entrepreneur, if you look at the dictionary's definition of what an entrepreneur is, it's about risk. And that's why I don't think people are naturally born entrepreneurs, because 
you will get some people in life that love to jump out of aeroplanes. You will get some people that don't want to even go on an aeroplane, let alone jump out of one. And I think that's naturally built into people to be either risk takers or not risk takers. Otherwise, everyone would be jumping out of aeroplanes or nobody ever going on an aeroplane. So that's why I think being an entrepreneur is about taking that calculated risk. And I think it does need to be calculated, not a gamble. And I don't know if more people are wanting to start up their own business. I'd like to think that they are. Certainly in Sheffield, which is one of the things I've been driving, Sheffield compared to other core cities in terms of starting up new business, the number of startups in Sheffield is actually lower than some of our competitive cities. So take Manchester and Leeds for an example. The startup in Sheffield is lower. So if there is more people wanting to start up business, and I don't know if that is the case, but if it is great, and I think that the market is probably more open now to people working from home, there's certain manufacturers or wholesalers, though, that are more prudent and, and restricting new startups because of the number of startups that, that don't work out and, and go bust. It, it's a very high percentage. It's like 90%, I believe. Yeah, and if you were a bank, or if you were a supplier, a manufacturer, wholesaler... You're not wanting to You know, that. if you look at those risks, why would you? Mm. Uh, particularly when there's an established client base out there in, in any market. You know, somebody said to me about they didn't want to start up this business because it was a competitive industry. And I, I said, well, you name me one industry or one market that's not competitive. And there isn't, to my knowledge, that's, that's an existing market that's easy to access otherwise otherwise everybody do it it's it's about the person that starts that business nine in ten fail why is that i think a lot of it is because of at the outset they've not done the planning they've not done the research they need good mentors they need good support and they've either not had the education they may be i don't know let's take a hairdresser he or she may be the best hairdresser in Sheffield and they may decide to start up their own hair salon. If he or she has got no business advice, no coaching, how to get paid, how to have the basic fundamentals of cash flow, how much it's going to cost you for your premises, how much you're going to charge, how many people are going to have the haircut, they'd go bust. But they might be the best hairdresser in, in the world. So I would always advise young entrepreneurs to never be afraid to get guidance and ask for help of whoever that may be. I'm sure there's listeners out there taking valuable notes just now on what it really takes and are you actually then doing that are you sat there are you the one that's looking to start up and have you got your plan together who is your team behind you what do you need to start researching in and if you are sat at home or behind your desk now considering what business area you are qualified in experienced in and passionate about what else do you need to start considering over and above that what is just you at the core Moving on then, Steve, I want to touch on a few questions that I, I ask everyone. Okay. Um, so what has surprised you the most about business? Um, I think what surprised me most about running my own business is, and I found probably quite disappointing, is, is recruitment. And it's not, it's, not a, it's not anything that's new. If you speak to people, say, oh, it's the new generation. People always say that. So I don't think it's anything that's brand new and millennials that don't want to work hard. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's always been the case where you give people an opportunity and they just don't want to work. There's people that want to earn a living and expect you to pay them a living. And one example I got was, it was about seven, eight years ago, somebody applied and sent me an email. I'd like to come and work for you. I've got all these customers I can bring. And he basically said, I want to join you. I've got all this client base I can bring. I, I guarantee that I will bring you half a million pound sales a year and a hundred thousand pounds gross profit. 
And in return, I want a £50,000 basic salary, a car, a laptop, all the other things, and, and a small commission package. To which I said, right, okay. I said, well, uh, with an OTE of about £60,000. To which I said, right, okay. I said, how confident are you that you're going to bring all these customers across? And he said, 100%. Absolutely. Within three months, I'll bring, I'll bring all of them across. To which I said, well, I actually think you're worth more than the £50,000 basic. I'm going to pay you £80,000 a year. To which he said, really? And I said, absolutely. If you're 100% confident, you're going to bring all that across. I will pay you £80,000 a year and I'll give you your car and your laptop on top of it. And he said, well, great. He said, well, when do I start? I said, well, you tell me when you want to start. I said, what I'll do is you give me a plan of when this money and this profit is going to come in. And what I will do is based on the £100,000, I will pay you 80% of the of the profit that you bring in i said for the first couple of months i'll pay you a retainer i said but after that you will just go purely go on to commission only of 80 percent, where you learn you eight thousand pounds a year to which he said i can't do that and i said why i'm offering you twenty thousand pounds a year pay rise to what you want and he said well i can't work without a basic to which again i said well why you i've asked you three times now you're 100 confident that you're going to bring me a hundred thousand pounds a year profit in why don't you want to do it? I said, it's better for you. And he said, well, it won't work like that. And I said, and I said well, you've either, you either don't believe in yourself or you've lied to me about the figures and you're wanting me to take all the risk. You're wanting to earn this money. Why, why, why should I take the risk? You've approached me. So if you want the job, the job's yours. Go and do it. I said, you bring that in and I'll pay you the £8,000 a year. Needless to say, you never joined. And I think that's, that's the thing that's disappointing me is you get people in, you give them the opportunity... And as an employer, the amount of people that, that don't want to work or expect an easy life, and I'm not saying everybody should work 40 hours a week and have to sit at a desk. I'd, I am a great believer in flexible working and trusting and empowering people. What has disappointed me and frustrated me is the amount of people that I've met and interviewed, and employed as well, that just don't want to work and expect you to pay for everything and just don't feel that they, they deserve an easy ride in life. And there is an old saying in hire slow, fire fast, and... And, and I do believe that we do hire, we do hire slow, and we go through the process, and we guide, we mentor, and we give them every single opportunity. But I think through experience, now, having employed hundreds and hundreds of, of of people, probably thousands, I think it's quite easy to spot people once they've joined. It's not easy to spot interview stage. I'd like to think I'm good at that now, but it's amazing how many people you still employ, and you think, crikey. I've made a mistake here after three months and they're lazy and they mm. just don't want to work. So yeah, that, that's the thing that I would say has, has surprised me and disappointed me, if anything. We already said earlier that you wouldn't necessarily then start up again any differently by doing it on your own. So you would have it predetermined that you would have a partner, i.e. Mark. But is there anything else that you would do differently? I honestly don't think there is. Uh, it, I mean, the market has changed, uh, you know, in terms of e-commerce and social media. So the market has changed dramatically. Um, and I think as a, in any business, you, ne- you need to be moving forward. You, co- you know, the, the moment you stand still is the moment you're going backwards. So the market has changed. So in terms of what I would have to do from a business plan and a business strategy point of view, if I was to start up com- completely separately now, the business plan of today would look very different compared to the business plan of, of 18 years ago. But would I do anything differently? No, because I think the basic fundamentals of hard work, determination, confidence, mindset, skill set, 
aligning yourself with the right people, aligning yourself with positive people. I'm a great believer. Negativity is infectious. I always say to people, rid yourself of negative people. If you've got people who are negative and drain you, don't socialize with them in work or even out of work. Don't socialize. You want to socialize with positive people. One thing that is crucial for, for everybody in life is, is understanding and understanding other people and having empathy. And one of the books I was advised to read is a book by Dale Carnegie, which is called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I've still got a copy of that book now. I've still sometimes watched YouTube clips. I would advise anybody listening to this that's wanting to go in business or that's even in business to read that book or to go on Google and watch the, the different videos that's on there, but to go and buy the book. Because that book basically talks about if you want to be successful in life, the title How to Win Friends and Influence People, it's all about other people and it's not about yourself. If you want to be successful, think about other people more than yourself. And if you think about, so our number one priority as a business was not Mark and myself. When we had our first strategy meeting, it was all about the customers. It was all about, or potential customers. It was all about the team, the people who were going to recruit. What could we do for the people? What could we do differently for the customers? How could we exceed their expectations? How could we do that with, with our team that we're going to recruit? And I think for any successful person, think outwardly, not inwardly, and think about other people first and then say, read that book and followed those guidelines as I read that book when I was 20 and I, I have followed those guidelines that, that Dale Carnegie wrote and I think that book's probably about 100 years old but out of all the modern self-help books that is the one book I would always advise people to read so right at the end we come to a bit of a to a bit of friction here between myself and Steve Steve just said think outwardly not inwardly I always say think inwardly and not outwardly up front it has to be ultimately about you first yeah. in terms of you know looking after number one making sure that you have got the right foundations of your skill set your mindset your health your well-being and got all the foundations in place so through HEW when I always talk about you first that's ultimately what I'm talking about is that inward focus to make sure you're instrumental to where you're going next then obviously then Steve's or my interpretation of Steve's uh, theory just there and, and input is about obviously then outwardly thinking because it comes a point where you are the one that's been selfish to be selfless and ultimately you're in business to be creating a service or a product for other people the business is not all around you but you need to be the one that's foundationally strong so that then you can go out to execute and apply yourself in business successfully. But great book as well. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. There is a big difference between folks inwardly and outwardly. And the priority is, first of all, it is inwardly thinking. Our outward thinking was really when we were doing the business plan. Yeah. So we'd already, through our background experience, you need that at the outset because you can't, you can't do it the other way around. It's got, it has got to, you're right, it has got to be in that order. So for... For younger entrepreneurs, you think inwardly, get all those skill sets and mindsets. But then when you're at the stage of starting your business and you're doing your business plan, think about your customers. Even, even in terms of existing business for a start, Absolutely. you know, the process comes back round again. So if you've got a, an existing business, could have been in business for five, ten years, who then plateaus, sometimes the answer is to come back into that process of inward focus because that might be that, that there is a lack of confidence and it has anything that's been in the business then in, in impacted the individual. So that process automatically then kicks back in to then start looking back at the foundation, start growing again, start building 
building again to then start going to the next level of business. So, you know, I think the two of inward outward are very, very aligned mm. and, and, and apparent to be synergized together. Yeah, and it's a constant circle. Exactly. So in terms of where you're going next, Steve, obviously you've got the Chamber Academy that's launching in September. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll be a massive fan and supporter of that and seeing what's available and out there for the people of Sheffield and, and the city region in that respect. And important within that and the Chamber itself is networking. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to touch on this before we wrap it up. How important is that? You've spoke about having the positive people around you, your teams, your mentors, and networking was a key objective for, for what I wanted to be involved with with the chamber hence my membership and 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 joining and getting on board i believe personally it is fundamental for getting around the right people and knowing who you can help and knowing how other people can help you and it has been said in business and in and in industry that networking is a bit of a dying breed and that people don't do it the same because it's all everything's driven through social media i wanted to ask you your opinion on that obviously as president of the chamber and obviously an advocate of, of all your offerings through your memberships and as a business owner as well. I've done a lot of networking over the years and and when I first started networking was really when I left the corporate business because I never needed to do networking. Uh, but as a, as a young startup, I needed to network, get out there in Sheffield. And, and if I'm honest, I was really, really bad at it. Um, and I think I was really bad at it because I'd go to these network events and my key objective was to go around, give people as many business cards as I could and try and get an appointment to go and sell them stationery. At the same time, there was people in the room who were probably from health insurance, selling photocopiers, doing car hire, all these other different sectors, and they had exactly the same objective as me, e.g. give me their business card and try and sell to me. I think those networking events are dead. I genuinely think that it didn't work back then and it certainly doesn't work today. I really do. To network, I would rather call it connecting rather than networking. I think it's not networking, I think it's connecting. But connecting is a longer-term strategy. If you want to build a circle of trusted colleagues, if colleagues is the right word, or, or networkers or referrers, that takes time and it takes patience, it takes trust as well. It's about relationships. Mm-hmm. And for me... Networking now is, and it always has been, is about connecting, it's about building relationships, it's a long-term strategy, but it's about, it's about giving. And never be afraid to give first. And naturally, it's human nature. If you give somebody something, human nature, 90% of the time, is they want to give you, not all the time, but they want to give you something back. So networking, the old style of networking, I never thought worked, never worked for me, and don't think it works today. And I think certainly the Chamber, that's something where when they have these events that they call networking events, we're very proactive in trying to encourage people to build longer-term sustainable relationships. And I, again, I would advise any young startup to start thinking about what events they are attending and be selective, uh, but be prepared to try and give as well as gain because that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. I think it's important on what you've just said about the practice and the patience behind it as well because it's not people expect to go into a room and it, that's it. It's kind of, oh, I've done my work for tonight. Yeah. It's been a couple of hours where I've been 
divvying out cards or have received lots of business cards and then that's it and that's the magic answer it's not is it it's 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 not even just the one-to-one coffee that you that you might book after that it's the next 10 so it's about being consistent again and knowing and managing your expectations up front that it is the long-term strategy that you talk about yeah, and, and again, it's put getting yourself out of the comfort zone. If you go into a room of 20 people on, a, on an event and you see one person in the corner and you know that person, the first thing 90% of people do is they go and talk to that one person that they know. That is categorically the worst thing that they can do. They already know them. They've already got the relationship. There's another 19 people in the room that they don't know. Go and talk to those people. Go and have a chat. Find out about them. Ask them questions about what they do. Find out about their lives, their business. And, and that's the way that you start asking people about themselves because everybody's living their own life story. People like to talk about themselves and their own business, so they'll talk about it. Not, at some point, they will turn around and ask you questions about you, and that, that's how any relationship starts. So again, if you are going to these events, make sure you go to the right ones and make sure you. if everyone's just trying to sell to you, then move on to a different one because you will end up finding one that you find where you've got like-minded people. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. So finally, just to wrap it up, three components... Out of everything that we've discussed, which is a lot, there is a lot of meat there between the sandwich, Um, but three main components of what Steve Manley would say what it takes. I I would say, first of all, it's determination. I think in anything in life, doesn't matter what you're doing, if you're determined, then, then that is the first key element that you need. I also think that you need to work hard. There's having determination, but it's a long-term strategy of working hard. And that, again, I know I've mentioned this before, that cannot come in waves. You need to constantly work hard. And I think the other thing is confidence. You know, you've got to be confident in your own ability. There will always be people that knock you, always. There'll be people that knock you that'll tell you you're not good enough. And then there'll be people when you've done well, that'll knock you because they don't like you because you've been successful. But never become arrogant, never become self-centered, but you have self-belief and have your own confidence. And if you, if you follow those three rules, then hopefully you'll, you won't go too far wrong. Excellent. Thank you so much, Steve. That's been invaluable. And I could speak to you all day. Very, very intriguing, very inspiring. But do you know what really strikes me the most is how humble you really are. And people say about, you know, even in business, should you be humble or not? And I can tell, and you know, you've expressed how competitive you are. You want to be number one. You don't just get to be the UK's number one office supplies brand and national brand by not having that competitive element behind you, but you're so humbling with it. And I just think that you've just given so much value there and it's just everything that I wanted to then share with the listeners. So thank you ever so much for being part of this and and taking this time out to to share. Thank you and all the best in your business as well, Helen. Thank Thank you you. very much, Steve. And that's it from us this week. I hope you've taken all the value. I hope that you are on this on Rewind so that you're taking lots of valuable notes down and revisiting everything that we've discussed because they're joking aside, you know, there is so much there that you can learn from Steve in terms of his experience, in terms of the challenges faced, in terms of learnings. Go back through and actually do that review on yourself in terms of where are you now and where do you want to be and what are the components then that you're um, particularly missing or what you need help on or what 
what are you actually benefiting from right now what's working for you so go back through do a bit of a recce do a bit of a review and and get learning because you're always in that realm of learning to go up to the next level wherever you are whether you're sat on a business idea or whether you're new into business or whether you've already got an established business and potentially then looking at how then you can grow to the next level i'm sure you will agree this has all been valuable so take as much from it as you will do all your feedback, any comments, please do follow Steve on uh, LinkedIn and the Sheffield Chamber as well. If you're from around the Yorkshire region, or if not, and you just want to have a look at how then this academy is going to be launched, then make sure that you follow on social media. That's Sheffield Chamber of Commerce and Steve Manley as well. And I wish you, Steve, all the best for the launch of that. And guys, as I say, please do interact and engage with any of your feedback and comments on this interview and with any other comments and questions that you have for future guests as well. Thank you and over and out from me. Thank you for listening to the HEW podcast. For continued support, please subscribe using iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play or SoundCloud. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a five-star review on your download platform. Tune in for more value and more content the same time next week.